Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. It doesn't seem all that long ago that businesses were debating whether it was worthwhile getting into the whole internet thing and having a website. Now it seems like having a website is old-fashioned. What you really need is an app. And if your business isn't tweeting on Twitter and networking on LinkedIn or posting pics on Facebook, well, you might as well move to the country and grow corn. Social media marketing has grown so quickly and become such an important tool that we now have a new breed of specialists who know how to manipulate it. My guests today are two of New Orleans' leading ninjas of social media and online marketing. Megan Hargroder is the founder of Conversations, focused on using social media to make small businesses effective online. And Will Scott is the founder of Search Influence, the largest online marketing firm on the Gulf Coast, working with over a thousand local businesses. Uh, Will and Megan, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me, Peter. It's good to have you guys here. I've been looking forward to the show. Megan, social media is still a whole new world to most people in business. It's been around for such a short time. Twitter was only created in 2006. That's post-Katrina. That's the way we define things around here. Uh, does anybody in social media marketing really know what's going on? Or are you like the, the TV madmen of the 1960s, pioneers who are figuring out the power of this new medium uh, as you go? So I've been doing this for a few years now, which is pretty much the bulk of my professional career. So in my mind, it's like, yeah, we're all doing this, right? This is all, this is a, this, this, is, real? this is like an everyday thing. Like, and when people say, what is a Twitter? I'm like, what, really? Is that a thing? But it's still very, I feel like that's indicative of the digital divide in the city and in the country overall, that there's still like a lot of people who don't get it. A lot of people who haven't jumped on the bandwagon but they will. It's basically a new form of news. Now you came over here from uh, Katiana. Yes. And uh, you did some uh, TV broadcasting back over, back over there and then you just jumped into this. I, I heard one story about uh, how you got into it in the, in the first place. You were bartering to get into a yoga class? Yeah, I was, um, when I first moved to the city I was doing communications for a nonprofit. Um, and nonprofits don't pay very well yes, here, we have especially. That. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I couldn't afford to take yoga classes, but I want to take classes like every day. So I went to the owner of the yoga studio and was like, "Hey, I can build you this Facebook page and this Twitter account and get more people to come to class." And she's like, "How?" And I was like, "You just watch." And she's like, "Okay." And so she gave me free classes in exchange for um, basically building up her online presence, Not which it turned out. out it, great for everyone. Um, lots more people started coming to the studio. It was relatively new. Um, so, you know, there were like four or five people in a class and then all of a sudden there were like 15, 20 people in a class uh, and I got to do yoga for free. Now, was, <laughs> now is, that you, is that what you still charge is basically you receive no cash, you just get yoga lessons for, uh, for your fun <laughs> funding here. They, what, what is it? Um, that must have been kind of the aha moment for you that you've, this could be a business. 
That wasn't it, actually. It was whenever uh, the owner of that studio happens to be a really well-known graphic designer also. Um, and then so she started pitching me to her clients, saying like, oh, you have to use this girl. She does amazing work. Um, and so that's when I started getting clients for pay, which wasn't something that had occurred to me before she started introducing me to people. Wow. And, wh and what's, um, what's next for this, ho this, whole, this whole realm here? What, what's going to occur next? Anything, Anything and everything. Okay. Um, I don't want to scale the company too big just because I like to have control and I like to be able to like jump off and I don't want to really be managing people because that's just not my style. I have one employee now and she's amazing. Her name's Julia. Um, but I think I would like to take it more uh, to seminar and workshop series um, as opposed to just consulting and management type work and eventually, um, well, I started writing a book. So it seems like you're you're carving all new ground in here, and so you're working on seminars and such. There's no there's no template to work out here. I mean, everything's changing every day. I mean, is that exciting or is that scary? No, that's exciting. There's no template. So what you do is you you build a template, and then all the time you're adjusting that template, and you're um, you're learning new things, and you're building it, and you're making it better and better and better. And which is also like an edge for me in the industry because people in general. They learn something and they get comfortable with it, and then they manipulate um, and just continue to do that, and then they scale it. Um, whereas I'm very, very interested in making things better all the time. So um, by constantly uh, measuring and adjusting and uh, making things better, it makes everything better. And it's it's been really successful so far, which has been exciting. I find it interesting, the idea that you would do something and then you would become complacent and scale it, which is what I just heard you say. Yeah. That, that by being a small operation, you feel like you have the flexibility to learn and test and do all of those sorts of things. And I, and I, I would challenge you on that because I think that we as a large organization, and you know, we're 45 people in uptown New Orleans, we're you know, the largest of our kind within you know, a good day's drive, um, we're constantly testing and measuring, you know, and we're constantly building uh, tools with which to measure the effectiveness of the campaigns that we're running. So I think that one of the challenges that we see is that small businesses, in particular, they're they're very much ROI driven. You know, very, very much about return on investment. If they don't, they, they, I think, ten years ago in internet marketing, and you know, a couple of years ago, and perhaps to this day, in um, social media marketing, it was easy for the expert to say, you know, very Oz-like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, <laughs> things are happening over here, it's all going to be fantastic. You know, they don't, they don't typically go from five people in a class to 15 people in a class or from uh, no business from online marketing to, you know, tens of thousands of dollars that are clearly attributable to online marketing. So I just, I think that the... Uh, I think that the, the thing that I would challenge you with is that sometimes scale has the benefit of being able to assign people to testing, testing and measuring. Now certainly, if there are things that work well, and you can build systems around scaling them, scale the heck out of it. But I think particularly as Facebook changes everything, right? I mean, it wasn't but six months ago that Facebook's ads went from being only in the margin to now being in the actual stream, you know? And when people discount Facebook's value, they say Facebook isn't valuable because they have no mobile strategy. Well, <clears throat> a couple of months ago, Facebook enabled us to actually advertise directly in the mobile feed. So it's not marginalized, it's right there in your face. And I, you know, I joke that 
that I'm now able to advertise to my wife in bed, right? Because she, I know, right? Oh, that, that's what we're going to leave yeah, the no. show with. Go ahead. No. Um, <laughs> but, but the challenge was, you know, she would, her interaction with Facebook, because she's got a real job, you know, she's our COO. So she actually like tells people what to do. The rest of us get to play on Facebook all day. And, and so the only time that she was engaged with Facebook was at night, she's laying down, she's, you know, got everybody loves Raymond in the background, and she's catching up with the girlfriends that she grew up with in Iowa on Facebook. And she was invisible to me as a marketer, right? She was, even though half of America's on Facebook, I couldn't touch her with marketing. And so at the moment that Facebook enabled me to target ads that are gonna show up on her mobile device, when she's laying there in bed, bam, I've got her. Right? And that's where I think it that's where I think the tipping point is, is the point at which you're so ubiquitous that you're in their freaking pocket, right? Nothing more local than my pocket. Yeah, and you know, now that, I, now that I realize your wife is from Iowa, I, I feel bad about making that corn reference earlier. <laughs> so there's a, but, Will, as I understand it, your company, uh, Search Influences, is a little broader than just social media. You're an online search company, and you create web-based marketing. And, and you've been doing this since 1994. So you know, in this, in this respect, you're an old guy. But one of the attractive elements of social media is that it's free. And I imagine I could get a kid college kids say to tweet about my business for an hour a day for a six pack and a cheeseburger. Uh, how do you convince existing clients to work social media into their established marketing? I think so, you know, certainly you could get a college kid to tweet about your business for uh, a six pack and a cheeseburger. But, but the challenge is you couldn't get that college kid to ever understand what a return on investment means. Right? right. So while they may have the ability to, uh, you know, type with their thumbs faster than I can with all ten fingers, uh, they're not going to be able to come back and track that to real business results. So we're sitting here in Commander's Palace. You know, what is Commander's Palace interested in? They're interested in putting butts in the seats. They're interested in filling rooms like the one we sit in with private parties. And so unless there is a way for that activity, that you know, thumbing the day away to actually turn into trackable results for businesses that matter, who cares? And that's always the great mystery in marketing, right, is to be able to show people that this is where those people came from. Uh, is that getting easier? Uh, absolutely, I've joked for a long time that you know, the, the classic line about marketing is, you know, 50% of my marketing budget is wasted if only I knew which 50%. <laughs> well, the great thing about <laughs> online marketing is that it is so inherently trackable that you know exactly which 50% is not working and you can just stop doing it. Both of you help me on this. A new restaurant opens in town and let's say you're both pitching them to run their social media. What do you, how do you open that up? Um, I don't know. I don't usually start a conversation pitching. I start a conversation like listening. So I guess that's like a weird that's a very good point. question for me to answer. Um, so they tell you about their business and where they stand and well, then... Well, and what... I don't so much, I like to have like a long conversation with people originally if I'm going to go into a structure where I'm going to be managing their social media because the other thing is that people never know what they need. Like people will come in and be like, oh, I need this, uh, I need this like Facebook page and like, you know, do, do some Facebook posts for me. And it's like, why is that what you think you need and what are your business challenges and what are your business goals? And then, you know, here's what we can do, you know, based on your business goals, here's some campaigns that, you know, we can start to like target those things and then like, let's measure this in two weeks and then let's measure this in a month and let's, you know, see if that was effective. Kind of what Will was saying, um, 
none of us can go into the situation, this is a still a new medium, and say like, oh, you're a restaurant, so we're going to do X, Y, Z, and that's going to deliver X, Y, Z to you. No, we don't know. We think that this is going to be the most beneficial thing to you, but in two weeks, we might get data that says, oh, that sucked. And actually, you can kill this whole thing completely and just start doing more of this because that actually worked. So each one of these is custom. It has to be. Yeah, that's, I guess, what I, I would have missed early on. It's not there's a format for restaurants and there's a format for hardware stores. and There is a format. I mean, in general, there there is a format. It's just a tailored format. Well, it's I mean, it's it's nice to have big data, right? I mean, because it's, it's, it's a lot easier to make decisions when you're able to look at 200 clients worth of data than just a couple. Because then you can start to see trends, you know, and we, um, <coughs> we have a, um, I, we have this sort of index of, of one category of customers that we work with, where we look, at <coughs> we look at their metrics kind of as a group and we say, for each, how do they compare to the norm? So we can say on a monthly basis, you know, are you above or are you, it's almost like a stock, you know, a stock market index in that we can look across an entire category and say, how is this one doing uh, as compared to the rest? Is this a, you know, is this a seasonal issue? Is this um, just they got lucky with uh, earned media or news somewhere? And I think that there is real value to that uh, to the point of, and I think, you know, I think Megan's got a really good point, which is that the one thing that you're not going to know unequivocally is what drives value for every business. You can have some ideas, right? You can, you know, I, I sit here and I make presumptions about what's valuable to Commander's Palace. Uh, I could make similar presumptions about what's valuable to a new hamburger place or a new, um, a new bar. <laughs> and then, of course, you have to test them, right? And, and the, the, the quicker you can test and fail, the, the better decisions you can make. And as long as you can do that in a way that is both, that is both you know, cost effective and scalable, I think it then becomes really valuable. So the, you know, I think about, for instance, there's a new hamburger place, I'm not going to name them, that opened up right around the corner from our office that <coughs> for, for weeks leading up to their opening, they had shills posting uh, reviews of them on Yelp and other review While sites. While they weren't open? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> right. So you're wondering, wow, how did you come to understand that that was such a tasty burger, right? And, and uh, on the day that they opened, they'd been publicizing it on Facebook forever. They'd been like, we're opening on Friday at 11 o'clock. And so they've got a line, right? Because people want the new. And, and then 11 o'clock comes and they said, no, come back in half an hour. <laughs> right? And then... At 11.30, they start serving people, and it all goes to hell. And they just said, I'm sorry, you guys are going to have to come back. Give us your names and come back later. And, wow. and then, you know, one of our employees writes a negative review about this experience. And the owner of the place comes in and says, you weren't here. I've checked the videotapes. Your name's not on our thing. And, and this is exactly the wrong way to go about it, right? So what do we know? We know that they are not adhering to best practices, in building reviews, reviews being a social behavior, and and there are ways to there are ways to not do this, right? So if you if you have the template for a restaurant that says I'm about to open, what do I need to do? It's going to include none of that. But well. at that point, isn't it also just standard customer service and taking that and moving it online? <coughs> oh yeah, totally. One of the first rules of uh, of good review generation is to not suck, <laughs> and and they unfortunately right. broke that rule. 
Yeah, wow. totally. That it, that should be the cardinal rule, I, w- I would imagine. You know, Now's the time we like to do our checklist. This is a part of the show where we take a little break and ask a couple of quick questions that you probably would not find on a loan application. And uh, I'll, Megan, I'll start with you. Um, do, you do you cook? Yes. You do. And what, what do you make? Um, lately, I've been uh, working on different vegan and gluten-free uh, things so you can make a gluten-free pizza crust out of um, cauliflower and there's some like general stuff you can pick up at Rouse's and get gluten-free pizza crust but that's my favorite thing right now and you grew up in kind of crawfishville and all right. that right so this is very different right exactly yeah I went home last week and I had crackling Buddha seafood fried <laughs> <everything>. <laughs> all of those things now we're cooking don't will- tell Jessica <laughs> <laughs> hey will what about yourself do you, do you cook at all um, I do I'm the breakfast guy in my house uh, so I tend to you know I tend to be the one who who cooks lots of pork and eggs um, because that's what I love to eat. And what didn't I ask you so far today that you thought I would have asked you? That's a tough question. I, you know, I think that the, the unasked and perhaps, uh, perhaps assumed by us question is, does this have value? Does this have value for the typical uh, business, whether it's a local business or a national business, business to business, business to consumer, um, do, does this social media stuff have value? And, and I think that the answer is unequivocally yes. The, the question is, are we looking at the right metrics? You know, are, we, are we tracking the right performance indicators for each of those businesses that we're working with? And are we trying to, you know, are we trying to jam a bunch of uh, square pegs into round holes? And I think particularly when you look at business to business, for example, you know, their definition of their definition of what is a valuable engagement in social media is very different than a local small business or a burger place that's trying to open up. And so, so the question is, you know, how do you, how do you then define whatever the performance indicators are that are going to matter to them, and then how do you track them so that, because I mean, if you can't measure it, you can't fix it. But I think that the big question is, does this have value? And, and I want to say that across the board, in all of the clients that we have worked with, it delivers value. And Megan, what, what didn't I ask you that you thought I'd ask you about? Um, I really thought you'd open with like, what is a pound sign hmm. on Twitter? Really? Which is actually called a hashtag. Yes. But it's just a really common question that I get from most people. Really? When the social media discussion starts, what is that pound sign thing? <laughs> I probably would have asked that, actually. Yeah, that's a good a question. <laughs> you should save that for later. I will. I'll, I'll get that back in our, in our piece. Now it's time to check the inbox. Uh, our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. And uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, I've got two questions today. One is for our guests, and the other one is for you. Oh, all right. Actually, so Great. be ready. The first one um, is for our guests, I think, to be polite, is from Darren Warren, who asks, Advertising on regular media seems predictable. The New York Times is always the New York Times, even if the subscription goes up or down. But social media seems to change. As something gets more popular, the original market seems to desert it, so it gets less and less hip. Does it get less effective? How do you have any confidence in who or what to use? Wow. I think the seekers of the low-hanging fruit are seldom profitable, right? The, if you go back to you know, Clayton Christensen and the innovator's dilemma, the, the super cool hard drive of the 1980s is not the one that was ultimately profitable. It was the one that came out for mass market that was cheaper, faster, and stronger five years later. So. Facebook was a heck of a lot less profitable when it was only available to uh, kids in colleges with a .edu email address. And now that there's 800 million people worldwide, 165 million 
people in the U.S. on Facebook, as a marketer, it's way more profitable to me. I often say that with, with half of the United States on Facebook, when you have to be over 13 and connected to the internet, as a marketer, that's like my definition of everybody. Megan, what, what about that? Is it, is it tough to stay hip, stay ahead of the curve? Um, going back to, he asked if it was uh, predictable, which I think is really interesting because traditional advertising isn't predictable. You don't know who saw your magazine ad or who saw your billboard and like what actions they're taking because of that. That's the most unpredictable, like frightening thing about advertising to me as opposed to um, if we put an ad on a blog or did a Facebook ad. Um, we it's can not say it's just comfortable. It's comfortable. Oh, there's a yeah, difference. Yeah, I guess that's different. <laughs> right. um, but I mean, it's you have clear results, and you're paying for your results. You're not paying for the possibility of results. Peter, here's a question for you from Lindsay Varney. It came to us on Facebook. What are Peter's thoughts on the future of investing in social media? Did Facebook's IPO blunder make financiers less confident in social media altogether? even though major brands continue to invest in social initiatives to grow? That's a really good question. I think there's often a disconnect between the success of the companies and the success of those stocks or those investors, investments. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I brought a bunch of students to, out to Omaha to spend the day with Warren Buffett, and one of the things he pointed out was one of the reasons he was not invested in technology was the same reason uh, he goes back when the airplane was invented, whereas the, it has changed the world and it has been remarkable, but very few people that ever invested in the airplane industry actually made profits. Megan Hargurter, Will Scott, it's a testament to the city's renaissance business environment that we have two social media and marketing exponents like you guys, as cutting edge as anybody in the business, working and thriving right here in New Orleans. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Thanks. I, I learned a lot. There's uh, My guests on Out to Lunch have been Megan Hargroder, founder of Conversations, and Will Scott, founder of Search Influence. To find out more about Megan's conversations and Will's worldwide influence, follow the links on our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. Our producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook and you can sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com or you can follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to past shows or get this show as a podcast, go to wwno.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO. For itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet again here around the table at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Resource Management, Inc.